Thank you to our band and thank you all for being here with us in worship today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of a three-part message series. And this message series is called North Star. And as I explained last week, this whole message series is about one thing. It's about righteousness. It's about righteousness. Now, I know that's like, can you find a more churchy word than righteousness? It's such a churchy word. But really, that term righteousness, what it refers to is a right way, a right approach to life, a right path to walk down. And so we believe that there are so many different approaches to life. There's so many different things that we're taught to value and work towards. There's so many different ways that we can organize our priorities. But there's really only one righteous path, right approach to life. We do believe in right and wrong here at Hope Church. And so this whole series is about seeking righteousness and walking along the righteous path. Now last Sunday we talked about some stuff that was a little bit difficult to hear because we talked about our weaknesses as human beings, but that's okay. Hey, listen, none of us are perfect. We all have our weaknesses, right? So there are some weaknesses that so many of us have in common. One of the things that a lot of people have in common is that we all want to be good. A lot of us want to be good and we want to be heroes and we want to do good and that's certainly a good thing. That seems like a good thing. How is that a weakness? Well, we should want to do good, and we should want to be good, and we should want to be heroes in our community and in our world, but that is a desire that can be manipulated, so we have to watch out for that. That desire that we have to be good and to do good and to be righteous and to behave righteously and to stand on the right side of history. When battle lines are drawn, we want to stand on the right side of history. Those are all good things, but we need to be aware that our desire to be good and do good can be manipulated, and it has been manipulated. Another one of our weaknesses that we share is that none of us, not me, not you, not your grandma, not anybody, we don't have fully reliable personal moral compasses. We just don't. In other words, we want to be good, but we're not always sure what good is. We want to be good, but we don't always know what good is. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's easy to tell, but not always. Sometimes we have a tough time figuring out what is good and what is not good, what is righteous and what is not righteous, what's the right course of action in this situation. Sometimes it's easy, other times it's difficult. And so we have to look outside of ourselves, and here comes our next weakness. These are all interrelated weaknesses here or, or flaws of human beings. The other thing is that we can be deceived, right? And so we want to be good, and we're not sure what good is, and so we look outside of ourselves, and here's where other voices can potentially deceive us. Again, we're none of us perfect. We're all works in progress, and we can be deceived. And so what we need, if we're going to be good, if we're going to live into this desire to accomplish good and to do good things and to stand on the right side of history, we need to look outside of ourselves to find out what good is. So we need a North Star. We need a consistent point that we can refer to to show us what is good, to show us what righteousness looks like, how righteousness is lived out. We need a consistent North Star. And none of you were surprised last Sunday when the preacher told you that the Bible, da-da-da-da, is our North Star. What a twist ending. Not so much. You all saw that coming, right? We need a North Star, and we have a North Star. Thank God for that North Star. Once upon a time, a while ago, I worked for, um, this is before Hope was even a church, I worked for um, Bethlehem Church out in Thornton, Pennsylvania, and uh, I was on the pastoral staff there, and I was the pastor of children's ministry and of small groups, and so um, 
working on staff there, a big part of my job was selecting curriculum and reviewing curriculum, and I'd have to find stuff for children's church and find stuff for Sunday school and children's ministry. Some of you know this is kind of like a behind-the-scenes thing. When you're searching for curriculum, it can be tough because there's a lot of lousy stuff out there, and it's expensive, and you make this purchase, and you get this stuff. It's like, I can use maybe 30% of this, and then I've got to adapt it and all this stuff. So that was tough. But small groups, that was a whole other thing. It was so tough to sort through small group curriculum and to read the books and look at the videos and try to figure out what should we make available to the congregation. Now, that congregation was about 240, 260 average attendance, but they had a lot of small groups for a church that size. Anywhere between 12 and 15 small groups running at one time, that's something they really did well at Bethlehem Church is to put that focus on small groups and getting people into community. And so it was my job to sort through stuff and figure out, okay, what kind of resources can I provide to our small group leaders? video curriculum or a book study or things like this. And so I had my little resource library shelf that I would roll out into, you know, the social hall on Sundays so people could choose their stuff. But I also had a lot of small group leaders come to me with books or videos or here. I want you to take a look at this. I'd like to do this as a small group. What do you think? Or if you could take a look at these videos, I'd like to do this as a small group. What do you think? Or I'd like to have our group read this book and then we'll just talk about it. What do you think? And so I'd have to go through this stuff. And, and so not everything was created equally good. (laughs) Is that a good sentence? (laughs) Not everything was equal. Not all this curriculum was equally biblically sound. How about that? How about we put it that way? And so there's a lot to have to sort through, okay? And so at a certain point in my time there at Bethlehem, I whittled it down to a group or a list of four Christian authors slash pastors slash speakers that I thought I could trust, right? I had a list of four. I whittled it down to four people. So if a small group leader came into my office and said, I'd like to do a book by one of those four people, I'd say, no problem. I trust that. I feel good about that. And then one of those four wrote a book and said, by the way, I don't believe in hell. I was like, wait, hang on a second. Wait, what? So one of the four on my list wrote a book and said, I don't believe in hell. I mean, not like a permanent hell. I mean, hell is kind of like a temporary thing, and then God eventually brings everybody to heaven. Hey, wow, that sounds awesome, by the way. I would love to believe that. I would love it if that were true, right? I mean, the stakes are so high for us Christians in sharing our faith and evangelizing, and that's a word we feel so squeamish about, evangelizing, uh, sharing my faith with other people. If I knew that hell was temporary, that just takes the pressure off. If the stakes go from here to down here, I would love it if that were true. But nothing in Scripture suggests that hell is temporary, right? Nothing, nothing in Scripture points to that. So there are these things that we we read in Scripture that we look to our North Star that we're not comfortable with. I mean, I'm not comfortable with so much of what Scripture has to say. I'm not comfortable with so much of the things that, so many things that God has done over the ages, and yet I don't have to be comfortable with it in order for it to be true. And so I was left with this dilemma. Okay, this guy's one of my four. I bought all this curriculum. I just bought it. It was like, this many videos. It was in a big packet. Just bought all these videos by this guy. Just spent church money on this stuff, and now he's writing this book. What do I do with this stuff? Well, I mean, this stuff is kind of good. I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Maybe I'll keep it. No, I got to get rid of all this. I got to pull this off the shelves, because if this guy is coming from a perspective where he's that low of a view of Scripture, then I can't. I just can't offer this. I just can't offer All right, so there we go. Down to three. Now, I've got three guys. You come into my office, and you say, I want to do something by one of these guys. Okay, you're fine. And then one of those three writes another book. Oh, my goodness gracious, here we go again. 
He writes a book about church, and he comes out against big church. He says, big church is always bad and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, the very first church ever was a big church, so I think you're wrong about that, but you're not wrong about everything. You're just wrong about that. Okay, well, I'm down to two and a half now, we'll call it, right? It's so difficult. It's so difficult. Why does it have to be so difficult to find the truth? I mean, listen, for those of us who actually want to grow in our faith, call it that, those of us who want to seek the answers to the question of, okay, well, what is righteousness? Why does it have to be so difficult? Why do I have to, like, can't I just pick up a book? It's a Christian book by a Christian author and read it, and there you go. Can't I just go on ChristianBookDistributors.com and order something and be able to trust it? Why does it have to be so hard? I don't know. Maybe Jimmy Dugan was right. Maybe it's the hard that makes it great. I don't know. How many things in this life that are worth doing are easy, right? Right? How many things worthwhile in this life are easy? You know, Jesus does tell us in the Beatitudes that, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, but it starts with what? A hunger, a, not a passive desire. I'm curious about what's right and wrong. No, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus tells us that when we seek, we find, not a passive, oh, I'm kind of curious about what's right and what's wrong. No, 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 no. A seeking, a seeking, a seeking and we will find maybe it's supposed to be hard. Maybe this is all part of the process of discovering what righteousness is. And so one year I'm out there at Bethlehem Church, and uh, it's probably no surprise to you that one of the guys on my list was none other than Andy Stanley. You guys know Andy Stanley? Have you heard of Andy Stanley? Have I mentioned Andy Stanley before? Andy Stanley, great pastor, uh, fantastic author. And so uh, it was Christmas season at my, my last church, and and I had a gift for all of our small group leaders. I had a book by Andy Stanley called The Best Question Ever. By the way, isn't that fun when somebody gives you a book for Christmas? Oh, great, homework. Anyway, I gave everybody this book. I was, I was like really jazzed about Andy Stanley back in those days. And yes, I did say jazzed. I was jazzed about Andy Stanley in those days because I just discovered him. I was reading all of his stuff. And so I give all of our small group leaders this, this Christmas gift. I even put a little decorative bag for him. And so we had this meeting. I give out the gift and um, the people are leaving and it's down to just me and one other guy. And I said, hey, well, have you, have you read this book before? I'm really excited about it. I think it's great. I think you'll like it. I said, no, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. I said, well, what about Andy Stanley? Have you read any of his other books? Because he's got great books. I mean, again, I'm just like, Andy, 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 talking about Andy. He's like, no, no, I, I haven't read any of those. <clears throat> I said, well, what have you been reading? He says, I just read the Bible. He said, I just read the Bible. You know, if anybody else would have said that to me, I would have thought, Look at this snob. Oh, you're too good to read Andy Stanley. Oh, my goodness. Well, I just read the Bible. No, but this guy, I tell you what, this guy had been teaching a men's Bible study for decades, like a real Bible study, like a 6 a.m. on a Monday Bible study. Not wake up at 6 to get there, but 6 a.m. on a Monday Bible study for decades. What's wrong with just reading the Bible? Am I supposed to talk him out of that? Well, I don't think he, oh, come on. I think he had a point. Just reading the Bible. All these books out there. All these books out there. Why don't we read the one that was written by God? I mean, Andy's great and all, but he's not God. Why don't we focus on the one written by God? You know, as we attempt to journey along the righteous path, as we attempt to understand righteousness, There are several other things along that path that we need to figure out. Several different concepts that we need to understand, that we need to figure out on the path of righteousness. I'm going to give you three of these things that we need to understand on the path of righteousness. There are more. 
We'll talk about three today. <clears throat> One of these concepts we need to understand is equality. Equality. What does equality look like? And some of you might think, well, equality is a really easy issue. It's very, it's very cut and dry. You just treat all people equally. And you're right. You're right. Just treat all people equally. Regardless of how rich or poor, how educated or uneducated, you just treat all people equally. And that's equality, all there is to it. Well, what do you do with the fact that what if somebody has a lot of money over here and another person is poor? Well, that's a lack of equality. And how do we solve that issue? Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> How do we solve that? Well, I mean, isn't that a lack of equality? If somebody's got a lot of money, somebody else has none, do we take money from this person and kind of make it equal? There you go, equality. But that's not right. You can't take from that person because that's stealing. So how do we pursue equality? Because this doesn't seem fair. Because the person up here, the person who has the money, well, they can afford better health care, and that's not fair. And they can afford a better education, and that's not, that's not fair. And so it's one thing to say, well, let's just treat all people equally. It's another thing to figure out, well, what does that look like? Speaking of fair, is another thing that we need to figure out on this path of righteousness. The issue of justice. Justice. What is just and what does justice look like? What about this term social justice? What's up with that? I mean, I've been hearing this term for what, like five years now, social justice, and I'm trying to figure out social justice. How do we define social justice? Is there just one definition? Are there different ways to think about social justice? And how is social justice different from justice? Justice. <laughs> Are they the same thing? And how is social justice different from biblical justice? Are they the same thing? Because justice sometimes can be easy, can it? To figure out what's just, right? I mean, you've got a, a victim and you've got a wrongdoer, right? You've got a victim over here and the wrongdoer came along and stole that person's bread. Victim, wrongdoer, boom, wrongdoer's punished. It's that simple, isn't it? It's that simple. We need to make this right. There's been a wrong that's been committed and it needs to be made right. By the way, that's a phrase that you'll hear a lot in the Schaefer household, make it right. Make it right. You're just disrespectful to your mother, your sister, whoever. Make, go, go find a way to make it right. And so sometimes it seems easy. Justice is easy. If there's someone who's done something wrong, they need to make some kind of restitution. They need to make it right. Well, some people disagree with that. So hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you call this person a wrongdoer, there's some other factors you need to consider. Like what about this person's gender or race or income level or education level? All these factors need to be considered before you go calling this person a wrongdoer. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh, oh. Sometimes, sometimes we muddy the waters with justice, don't we? Is social justice justice justice? I don't know. Or is it an attempt to modify justice? Huh? See, this isn't easy stuff, is it? On the path to righteousness, figuring these things out. I'll give you one more. <clears throat> one more. Love! How about love? If there's one thing we Christians need to get right, it's love, right? Come on. Jesus says the world's going to know you're mine because of your love. The world will know you're mine. You're my disciples because of your love. Well, how do we define love? How do we define love? What is love, baby? What is love? Well, love is all you need, and love is love, right? What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? So many different ways to think about what love is. If there's something that, means, that has been made very clear to me over the past, oh, I don't know, decade, it's that there is not universal agreement among human beings defining what love is and what it looks like to love one another. Yeah, we can all say it's a good idea to love one another, but we are not agreed on what loving one another looks like. These are the things we need to figure out if we're going to walk this path of righteousness, equality, justice, 
love? What does it look like to love one another? We need answers to these questions. What is righteousness? What is equality? What is justice? What is love? We need answers to these questions. Where do we go for our answers? Well, that's the problem. That's the problem is that most of us human beings, and maybe you're the exception to this, but most of us human beings, we don't go looking for answers. Instead, we are subjected to answers. We don't go seeking after. Somebody please define righteousness for me. Please define love for me. Please define justice. We don't not go looking. We don't go seeking after the answers. Instead, we're just subjected to them. Every time you turn on the TV, every time you put on the news, somebody is telling you, well, here's the bad guy, and here's the victim, and here's the hero, and here's the good guy, and here's the bad guy, and here's the right side, and here's the wrong side, and the Democrats are ruining our country. No, the Republicans are ruining our country. Somebody's telling you who's right and who's wrong every time you turn on the television. Will it slow down now that the election's over? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe for a few minutes, right, if we're lucky. Every time you turn on the TV, somebody's telling you, well, this is what love looks like, and this is right, and this is wrong, and this is how people are behaving. Every time, oh, every time you go on social media, you're going to be subjected. You're not looking for answers, but you're going to be subjected to people's false ideas about what love is, about what justice is, about what equality is, about what righteousness is. You see what I mean? We're not looking for answers. Maybe you are, maybe you're the exception, but most people aren't looking for answers. They're just subjected to them. You realize we have an entire generation of young adults who have had their concept of righteousness shaped by social media. Have you seen The Social Dilemma? Anybody watch that yet? That documentary on Netflix? Check it out. A whole generation of young adults having their concept of right and wrong, just and unjust, shaped by the voices of on social media. They weren't looking for answers, but they got them anyway. So what should we do? I mean, those of us who are seeking after answers, those of us who are intentional, it's not just about, I want to know what's right. I want to know what's righteous. Where should we turn? I guess we should turn to the Christians, right? Let's let the Christians tell us what's righteous. Let's let the Christians teach us about equality and justice and love. Let's turn to the Christians. Well, okay. Here's a scary question. <clears throat> How many of our pastors, and Christian leaders and Christian authors and parachurch leaders and ministry leaders, how many of them have had their view of righteousness shaped by extra-biblical sources? You know that term, extra-biblical? You can guess what it means outside of the Bible. How many Christians who are putting content out there to the world have had their idea of righteousness shaped by something that's not the Bible. How many? I wonder. It's a minefield. It's a, just because you bought it at Christian Book Distributors does not mean it reflects the Word of God. It's a minefield out there. Now, I'm not saying, hey, listen, you can't read, forget, you know, put down your Andy Stanley, put down these books. I'm not saying you can't read extra-biblical sources. I'm not saying that. You know, I love Andy Stanley. I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller is fantastic. I love what he's putting out there. But what Tim Keller has to say and what C.S. Lewis had to say, what Andy Stanley has to say, they're wonderful. That's fantastic. But it's not Scripture. And I'm going to tell you a secret. As much as I love Andy, I don't always agree with him, okay? Don't let that get back to him, okay? But it's not, I don't have to agree with him because it's not 
Scripture. And so go ahead, read those other things, but don't treat it the same way as the Bible. I'm not saying you can't read or study from extra-biblical sources. What I'm saying is the same thing that Jesus told his first followers. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out for false prophets. This is what Jesus said to his followers. Watch out for false prophets. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells this parable explaining what the kingdom is like. He talks about a landowner that goes out and plants wheat and then an enemy comes along and sneaks in and plants some tares or plants some weeds in with the wheat. And so one of the servants goes back to the landowner and says, okay, we got a problem here. I know that you, were, you, know, you planted some wheat, but somebody came along, some enemy, and now they're sowing these weeds and so they're all growing together. What should we do? Should we pull the weeds out? And the landowner says, no, you don't do that. If you pull the weeds out, you're going to rip up the wheat with it. Just let it all grow together. Let it all grow together. And when it's harvest time, we'll take it all out and we'll separate the wheat from the weeds and we'll burn up the weeds. You realize the whole time, the entire time that the church has been growing, right alongside of it. It's not like, oh, here's the real church and here's the false church. Here are the true people speaking the message of God and here are the liars. Nope, it's all growing together, intermingling. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out for false prophets. Here, and we've got two problems when it comes to false prophets. Two problems. One problem is that we can be, here's something that we Christians do, we can be too quick to dismiss someone as a false prophet. We can be too quick to label somebody a false prophet. Oh, uh, you know what? You're telling me something that I've never heard before and I've been a Christian for 30 years, therefore, false prophet. You're telling me something that's absolutely new to me and I've been in church my whole entire life and I never heard this before, so what you're saying must be false. Not necessarily. Maybe you just never heard it before. Maybe you never read that part of your Bible before, right? Just because it's new to us doesn't mean it's false, right? I can remember being a teenager in my, in my living room. My parents were watching some preacher on TV and he started talking about the future of the nation of Israel and their future restoration. I was like, wait, what? I never heard about that before. I kind of assumed that, okay, I guess, you know, Israel had their chance to accept a Savior and they rejected him, so I guess God's done with them. No, that's not what Scripture says. I just never thought about it before. It was a new teaching to me. I was like, well, where does it say that? It was new, right? So many Christians grow up in a church setting where they believe that the end of the story is heaven. The story ends with heaven. You die, you go to heaven. Boom, that's it. Well, that's not where the story ends. Jesus comes back to this earth. He creates a new heaven and a new earth. And for some people, that's new information. I have had the privilege slash weird experience of being the first person to tell a fellow Christian about the return of Jesus. And like, what, really? Just because it's new doesn't mean it's false. I mean, when Jesus came along, what it, the, the religious establishment, they accused him of being a false prophet. Why? Because they were uncomfortable with what he was telling them. Just because you're not comfortable with what you're being told doesn't mean it's false. That's not it. You know, sometimes we dismiss prophets, people as being false prophets just because we don't like their word choice. I don't like how you use that term in that sentence. False prophet, relax, relax, relax. Let's not be so dismissive. You know, sometimes we label people as false prophets because we don't like the way they preach. You know, you're up there doing this topical preaching thing. Just open up the Bible and read the Bible. If you're not doing that, you're a false prophet. Really? Really? Is that the way that Jesus preached, by the way? False prophet? Huh? You know, we can be too quick to dismiss people as false prophets just because we don't like what they have to say or we don't understand it. That's not the measure we should use. One of my favorite local pastors is Joe Foch, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. And what do they do there? He opens up the Bible. Let me explain this thing to you. 
That's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to preach the Bible. What he always says, and, I, and this is wonderful that he says it, I think he says it in almost every message, is if what I'm saying doesn't match up with what this book says, listen to this book and forget what I have to say. That's wonderful. This is the standard. You know, the other mistake we make when it comes to false prophets is we're too unwilling to identify a false prophet as being one, right? I don't want, you know, I just want to be polite, and I don't want to cast this aside, and I don't want, listen, listen, listen. Jesus doesn't say, I, I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I don't think Jesus says, if you have identified a false prophet, go online, tell everybody about it, criticize them in the public forum. I, I don't think Jesus says that. He says, watch out, and if you find it, reject it. And yes, warn your brothers and sisters, absolutely. But it's about rejecting what's false. Reject what's false. It's okay. It's okay to call something false. <laughs> we don't have to worry about being polite. Sometimes, believe it or not, we Christians can be too polite. If it's false, it's false, regardless of the person's intentions. Well, I mean, they think they mean well on what they're trying. Okay, but it doesn't line up with Scripture, therefore, false. False prophet. Sounds like a big term. What does it mean? False means false. Prophet means one who speaks for God. You're not telling the truth about God. That's all there is to it. So we have that. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at our scripture reading for today, 2 Timothy. Last week we looked at something that Paul had to say to Timothy. We're going to look at more information that Paul has for Timothy, more words of instruction, words of guidance. This is Paul continuing to tutor his son in the faith, not his biological son, but his apprentice, I guess you could say. And he tells Timothy, preach the word. Okay, there you go. Don't make up your own stuff. Just preach from the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, there is no such thing as an off-season where you can like kind of be slack about it. Correct, rebuke. I don't want to talk about that anymore. We talked about that last week. Correcting and rebuking, that's no fun. Encourage. Oh, that's fun. Correct, rebuke. And encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, Timothy. I mean, buddy, in your own lifetime, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. In your lifetime, Timothy, it's going to come. People are not going to, you're going to tell them the truth and they're not going to want to hear it. They might accuse you of being, you know, judgmental. They might accuse you of being, you know, hateful. They're not going to want to hear the truth. They're not going to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, oh, Paul, this is great. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them, well, just a couple teachers. No. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. There you go. You know, in case you're wondering, I, I don't know, if you ever want to know how to plant a church, right? If you want a lot of people to show up at your church, you know what you have to do? Just tell them what they want to hear, baby, and they'll show up. Just tell them, keep living your life exactly the way that you, oh, yeah, that's great. Just really get in there, preacher. Just scratch that itch and ear for me. Oh, that's what I wanted to hear. What's that? Love the one you're with and God will forgive all that. Oh, that's great. Just get right in there. Oh, yeah. Scratching those ears. That's, a, that's what I wanted to believe anyway. Thank you. We all have that weakness. Tell me what I want to hear. Our politicians know it. Tell me what I want to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear. That's, that's, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Listen, y'all, I'm not in the ear scratching business, all right? I'm not doing it. Keep away. Social distance. Get those ears out of my face. I'm not scratching your itchy ears. It's not my job. There are plenty of other teachers out there that have made that their goal. And they're warned. We're warned to reject that. I'm told of this time that people will turn their ears away 
from truth and turn aside to myths. So what do we need to do? I mean, it's a minefield trying to figure out who's telling us the truth, who's guiding us on the right path, who's mostly right but has a little bit wrong. What are, how are we supposed to figure any of this out? Right? If I can't trust Christian book distributors, who can I trust? Who can I go to? What do I do? Well, I'll tell you a story I heard, and I don't know if they do this anymore. But uh, back in the day when a bank would hire a new teller, I mean, they'd have to be trained on how to spot a counterfeit, right? That just makes sense. They have to be trained on how to spot counterfeit currency. You can't accept that at the bank. You know the deal. And so the way that they would train a teller to spot counterfeit currency, it's, it may be counterintuitive. I mean, some people think, well, you give them some fake money, you, tell, you, know, you teach them about the different uh, tricks and the different ways that people make fake currency, you show the kind of ink that the fakers use and all this. No, that's not what they did. To train a person how to spot fake currency, what they would have the tellers do is study the real thing. Study actual currency. You know what that piece of paper feels like. You know what it smells like, right? You know the weight of it, right? You know every little individual marking. Have you looked at any of your money recently? Those of you who still use cash, I mean, it's very detailed. Get to know that so well, not by studying what's fake, but by studying what's real. Study what's real. Don't study the counter of it. Study what's real. That way, when someone hands you some counterfeit currency right away, nope, this isn't it. You'll feel it. You'll smell it. You'll spot it right away. If you know what's real, then you can spot what's fake. Here's what you need to do. You need to study what's real. You need to study what's real. If you want to be able to spot what's fake, you need to study the real deal. If you want to be able to spot all the counterfeit teachings out there, you need to know the real deal. We need to be in this book. We need to be studying our Bible. And I'm so grateful that you're participating in worship today, and this is wonderful, but this doesn't take the place of studying your Bible. And you can listen to somebody on TV, and you can read those books by these other people, and that's fine. It doesn't take the place of getting into this book for yourself. You need to be in the Scriptures. When we use the Scripture as our North Star, we will receive that training that Paul talked about. We will receive our training in righteousness, and when we study the real, the Word of God, we will know what good is. And once we know what good is, then we can do good in our community. But it all starts with Scripture. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good, preacher, but how am I supposed to do this thing? I mean, how am I supposed to read the Bible? And after I've read it, how am I supposed to understand it? Well, those are great questions, and those are exactly the questions that we'll be answering next week when we conclude our series, North Star. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for giving us this time to worship you, to sing your praises. Father, we thank you for preserving your word for us. We thank you for giving us a North Star. Father God, we ask you to please give us the ability to tune out the lies, tune out the counterfeit, tune out the noise, and be able to focus on your word. We need your word. Father God, give us all, everybody participating in worship right now, give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Give us a hunger for righteousness. Father God, equip us with the tools that we need to read your word, to study your word. Give us the passion we need to get into your word on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And Father God, let that word inform us. Let your word shape our understanding of righteousness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.